Every one of us have uh, limited time. We have limited money. We have limited energy. You know that. Uh, we also live in a world, though, where the tension is, is that we, there are unlimited opportunities. And if any of you, August brings uh, on a new uh, slew of events and times where your kids back in school, new challenges at work, you see the unlimited opportunities to use your limited time, limited money, limited energy. How do we figure that out? How do we know how to uh, best use what we have when there's unlimited opportunity? Uh, you, you know that the easy part is figuring out the wrong from the good. The hard part is figuring out the good from the best. And so how do we, in God's eyes, in his evaluation, choose what's best? How do we use that limited time and money and resources? I talked with a pastor this week. His has six children, and his oldest of six is a senior in high school. And as a dad who just delivered his youngest of five to college, I said, I got some words for you. And uh, down that, down that uh, trail a little bit, and I said, two things. And he's just looking at me wide-eyed. Already looks tired. And I said, here's a, number one, you need a line item in your budget that just says senior year. All right? That, just senior year. Because you don't know what's coming, but it, it's coming. And everybody needs $127, all right, uh, over and over and over again for the next nine months. And then it's $3,027. But, but it, it, it's, so you need a line item, just senior. Second thing, say no to everything that doesn't deal with senior year, all right, because every week there's something needed. We got to go somewhere. We got to meet somewhere. We got to be there. Dad, you can't miss this. So there you go. And he's like, I got it. I got it. Writing it down. It was, a, it was so intense. And I'm like, maybe it helps. I don't know. We have limited time. We have limited money. We have limited energy, unlimited world of opportunities. It's true personally. You know that. It's true corporately for our church. There every every week. New emails, there's phone calls, there's opportunities for the church to take a couple of thousand people and some great things, great ideas out there and, and limited time, limited energy, limited money, lots of opportunities even corporately as a church and personally and corporately, you know what you have to do? You got to narrow it down. You got to narrow it down. And you got to let go of some things, and you got to figure out what's what's best, what's valuable, what's going to last, what what is, in, in a lot of ways, what's eternal. And I and I want to take over these next four weeks four four items that we've narrowed down to as a church. And here's the thing: it it's important for our church, but I believe it's scalable into your life. That even these four things, you could if if you don't have them, it could be boundaries for you, buoys for you to figure out in an unlimited opportunity world how to use your limited resources. 
And today where we start is we're saying, what have we narrowed down to? What really is worth it? And what's worth it today, we're saying, is the Word. The Word of God. The Word is worth it. In your life, it's worth it. In the life of our church, it's worth it. And I hope already coming in today, you felt it in some way. I hope that you have realized you're singing the word. I hope you recognize that we're praying the word. You, if you've been here for a few weeks, you've heard it. You've heard me say, let's open our Bibles and when we say, let's open our, our Bibles, we never need to do that pridefully. We say, open our Bibles desperately. We need, in this world and in this time, we need to hear the Word of God. We need to know what He's saying and how to live it. And so we've narrowed down to the Word. And I want to ask you to look in your Bibles to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, as we think about the word, is worth it. The Apostle Paul writes in this letter to a guy named Timothy. He wrote multiple letters to different audiences. This particular letter was Paul's last letter. And his last letter that he wrote before he went to heaven was a letter to a pastor for that pastor to apply to the church that he was leading in Ephesus. And he gives instruction to Timothy as the leader of those people, as a shepherd of those people. And listen to what he says. He says, chapter 3, verse 10. You, talking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Who was Paul? He was an apostle. What did he do? He preached the gospel to the Gentiles. He went from place to place like Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And here's what he said. In all of those places, even with patience and love and steadfastness I was persecuted I endured it here's what he's saying it was worth it it was worth it it was worth it to be persecuted if it meant proclaiming God's word he says yet from them all the Lord rescued me verse 12 indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Worth it. The word is worth it. The word is worth, here's what you would be saying right now, the word is worth what? What's the it? The word is worth what? The word is worth preaching. The word is worth teaching. The word is worth singing. The word is worth believing. The word is worth trusting. The word is worth praying. The word is worth memorizing. The word is worth studying. Everything that we do with the word, that's what we're saying. We're saying that the word is worth it. It's worth it to preach, to read, to memorize, to sing, to study, to pray, to write. It's worth it to illustrate it. It's worth it to believe it. It's worth it to obey it. The word of God is worth it. It's what we do. It's, why we're, it, it, it's, it's the schedule of our day. There are people in classes, children's classes this way, youth classes this way, adult classes that way. They're meeting right now. There's one thing that we know will happen in every one of those rooms. The word will be taught. Why? We, we, we get what we do with it, but why is it worth it? Why is it worth doing all of those things? That's what I want to talk about here from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. I want to give you five reasons the word is worth it. Number one, the word is worth it because it is God's word. The word is worth it because it is God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Earlier, uh, Paul referred to, these, to the sacred writings. And then in verse 16, he says to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by who? God. He's breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. In the 1960s, there was a piece of liturgy that became popular in a lot of churches. Some of you may be from a particular background like this. There Maybe in the church you attended before you came or one day you wind up in a church where you'll hear this. And just like I read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and a few verses of chapter 4 in some churches, they finished that reading and the pastor reading would say, this is the word of God. And the congregation would respond back with what? Thanks be to God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. It began in the 60s at the height of liberalism when people were doubting the word of God and believing the miracles were myths and people were arguing in public about this, this is 
You, you can't trust the word. And, and as the word was read in a lot of churches, they wanted to declare it. So there was no guessing what I've just read. This is the word of God. And the congregation, thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for giving us your word. I hold in my hands today this copy of a Bible that I've preached from since 2015. There are five of these Bibles, over 30 years of pastoring. This is the fifth one that I've preached from. We have five kids, and just kind of the, the goal in mind for me is that when I'm gone, that each one of those kids would be able to have on their shelves and in their life a Bible that their dad stood and proclaimed and preached day after day, Sunday after Sunday in his lifetime. This particular version of the Bible is an ESV, English Standard Version. Some of those Bibles are NIVs. My first Bible was a KJV. And if it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for me. You know? and, and, uh, but anyway, the, this, this version, when I read it, this book, as Alistair Begg says, it really is a library of books. It's one book, but it's composed of 66 different books written by at least 40 different authors over 1,500 years. And this book, God's Word, 66 individual books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, without contradiction, points to one God and one Savior and one hope of humanity, and that is to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior so that one day we can be with him in one heaven. This is the word of God. This word of God, he says, was breathed out by God. Those 40 authors, listen, all different personalities. It wasn't like God just picked a guy and said, all right, take notes, and God just started chanting it out. But as you read through those 66 books, what you find out is that author with a particular background, with a particular cultural experience, with a particular language, through the breathing of the Holy Spirit in that author, penned the Word of God. And the story of the Word is that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is God's word. Number two, why is the word worth it? Number two, it is profitable. It is profitable. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Some translations say useful. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for or useful for. When you think of making a profit, what is that? You put some work in. And when you put some work in, pay some cost, it produces something, and you have something left to live off of. And he's saying here, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. You study the word, you read the word, you meditate on the word, you apply the word, you obey the word, you put the work in in the word, and it produces something, produces fruit. It, it's profitable, it's useful. It produces what's needed to live. In verse 17, after introducing here that Scripture is God-breathed and useful and profitable, verse 17 says why it's profitable, why it's useful. It says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good 
work. That phrase equipped for every good work is the same Greek words that are used to describe something that's fully stocked. Fully stocked. Some of you went camping this summer and maybe there was this conversation that went along. You said, hey, honey, we're, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. And we're, we're, we're going to take everything with us. You said, everything, everything. We wanted to fully stock the coolers, fully stock the refrigerator, fully stock the cabinets, fully, fully stock the... We're not stopping anywhere to buy anything. Fully stocked. Maybe some of you have this story of being out there and all of a sudden one of you says, you forgot what? I thought we were bringing it all. Here's the deal. When you have God's word, he's saying there won't ever be a time when you stand before God where you say, God, you forgot to tell us what? That would have been really good to know. He said the word of God breathed out by God. It's profitable. And you will, by studying this word and applying this word, using this word, your life will be fully stocked with everything you need. Where does Satan come in? Where's the tension? The tension comes in when the Satan says, oh, you don't need that. All the way back to, Gen did God really say? Did God really say? You know God was just keeping from you. And that tension still, and he said, no, the word of God, it is profitable for everything you need. Number three, why is the word worth it? It's worth it because it's God's word. It's worth it because it's profitable. Number three, the word is worth it because it is transforming. Transforming. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for. And he gives these four words, teaching, reproof correction, and training. There's kind of a cycle going on there. And he says the word of God is profitable for teaching. That means that the word of God shows us what is right. Okay? What do we find out in the word of God? We find out in the word of God what is right. It's useful for teaching. Then he says the word of God is useful for reproof. What is that? The word of God shows us what's wrong. So when you read and study the word, you find out what's right and you find out what's wrong. When you bring, when you bring your life into uh, the light of God's word, when you lay the pattern of God's word down over your life, you find out what's right in your life, you find out what's wrong in your life. And then he says it's useful for correction. That shows us how to make the wrong right so we find out in God's word what's right we find out what is in God's word what's wrong and then we also find in God's word how to make what's wrong right I'm a sinner I fall short of the glory of God what's right is I was created in the image of God what's wrong is I haven't lived according to that image I sinned how do I Get that right. How is that corrected? By believing that Jesus Christ died to pay for my sins. And then here's the last thing. And he said, and training in righteousness. The word of God teaches us what's right. The word of God teaches us what's wrong. The word of God teaches us how to make the wrong right. And training shows us how to keep what's right. 
from going wrong. And that's the, that's the transforming power of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You hear that? That's the word of God. That's not me. That's not your parents. What is alive and active and discerning of your thoughts and your intentions of the heart is the word of God. Here's, look this way. Here's my greatest hope. My greatest hope today is that we can gather as many people as we can gather on this property. And whether you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or not, the word can be sung, the word can be read, the, the word can be prayed, the word can be taught, the word can be applied, and the living and active, sharp word of God will do its transforming work in a heart. My hope is not that I can come up with uh, an illustration that will change your life. I won't be able to use enough fancy words to change your eternity. I, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to convince you to change in su such a way that it would last for eternity. You know that if I can talk you into it, Satan can talk you out of it. Our hope is lasting change, eternal change will happen when we proclaim the word of God that is useful and profitable and it has transforming power. Two things, when I walk up here and I'm coming up those steps, here's what I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And God, let your word be preached today. And what I'm saying in that walk is this, Lord, it's on you. It's on your word. That's why the word is worth it. It's transforming. Number four, the word is worth it because it will be abandoned by many. It will be abandoned by many. God's word that is profitable and transforming needs to be proclaimed because it will be abandoned by many. In chapter 4, he says, verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And here's what he's saying. He's saying people will decide in their heart what they believe and then they will find somebody that says that and get them to be around them, to feed them what they already believe so that they can feel comfortable in this life. And friends, the reason that the word is worth it for us today is because we live in a world where the word of God is being abandoned. Paul gives this instruction 
to Timothy, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. You know what that means? Some of your deer hunters, that means that you, you don't wait till deer season opens to get your gun ready. He's saying here that when it comes to preaching the word, living the word, teaching the word, singing the word, believing the word, studying the word, they're not semesters. You're not out of school in the summer when it comes to God's word. It's in season and out of season. You're living your life. In the word, the, the little Greek words there are often used in other places where it means convenient or inconvenient. He said, preach the word, live the word when it's convenient for you and when it's inconvenient. Paul had already said, he said, I've been persecuted for what I've taught. You know what he was saying? Most of my life, it's been inconvenient to deliver the word of God in places like Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch. And it's a word that's still preserved for us today to remind us that there will be increasingly inconvenient for us to teach and preach and live the word of God in Watkinsville and Athens and Madison and Conyers and Commerce and Georgia and the U.S. in this world. It will be increasingly inconvenient. This is a convenient place to talk about the Word of God, isn't it? I mean, I can say some things about the Word of God in this room and, and get some amens. I have to work at it, but I can, I, can, I can get a few amens. It's safe in here. But in about 12 minutes, you're going to walk out of here and it's not going to be so convenient. General Carver is the leader of all Southern Baptist chaplains. The Southern Baptist Convention North American Mission Board endorses 3,700, about 3,700 chaplains around the globe. These chaplains are in military settings, they're in police settings, they're in hospital settings, they're in mental health settings, and these chaplains that are endorsed by the Southern Baptist and North American Mission Board since 2010 have led over 33,000 people to Christ. They're doing a great work. I heard General Carver speak this week, and he says, here's what we're confronted with week after week after week. He said, and the higher-ups that are making decisions about where chaplains can go are now debating whether or not chaplains should be allowed in a lot of in just different settings and going to all the details of that. And he said, I'm constantly on the front lines of defending why people in situations where life and death is hanging in the balance, why they might need some spiritual conversation. He says, here's what we're hearing. He says, we're hearing, being told to us as chaplains, for those above us that are granting permission, is that you're reaching a time where you're no longer allowed to think. You're no longer allowed to think in the way that your Bible teaches. So when I ask you the question, why is the word worth it? Because we are living in a world where people are abandoning the truth. 
and collecting around them people that will say what they want to be said. You're probably like me and look around at our culture and society and think, how did things change so fast? If you're trying to get a grip on culture and understand the changes and some of the different cultural issues of the day, I'd encourage you to take a look at Carl Truman's writings, particularly one book of his called Strange New World. And Carl Truman writes this about the world that we're living in where ideas and thoughts are changing so dramatically and the word of God is being sidelined. He says what we're dealing with in our world today that's affecting so much of our culture is what's called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique code of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. So that, that in expressive individualism, if it's, if it's intuitive to me, if it's what I'm feeling, I should be allowed to express that for me to realize who I really am. A philosopher by the name of Charles Taylor speaks about this expressive individualism and he said, what this leads to is what's called the culture of authenticity. In other words, the new religion is I need to authenticate my true self based on my true feelings. He says the culture of authenticity is one where each one of us has his or her own way of realizing their humanity. And that it is important to find and live out one's own humanity as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. In short, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. The increasing social sensitivity to criticizing anyone for their personal lifestyle choice reflects a view of the world where each person is free to perform life in whatever way they choose. The word of God is worth it. It tells us who we are, shows us what we need, and gives us the hope of what will actually make us complete. The word of God is worth it. Number five, the word of God is worth it because it gets us ready for eternity. When I stand before you today, I'm not offering you five steps to a happy life. Uh, I'm not offering you three things that will help you find your inner self. And I don't even know how to speak the language. I'm sorry. I, I just, I, what I'm what I'm standing here telling you is, is that there is bad news. And the bad news is, is that we've been separated from a holy God. But there's good news. But before there's good news, there's worse news. There's not anything I can do. There's not anything I can do to make myself right with that holy God. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ, his son, came 
and he did what I needed. He did what you need, and he bore your sin on the cross. He paid for your iniquity. He filled in the gap between you and God, and by grace through faith in him, your eternity can be settled forever. You'll be saved, and you have the hope of heaven. And where do we find that out? The Word of God. That's why it's worth it. Friends, listen. Why does this matter? It, this is why what I've told it's God's Word that's profitable and transforming, and the world's running away from it. But it's what settles our eternity. It's why every day I read the Word. That's why every day you need to read the word in the crush of syllabus shock. You need to read the word. You need Jeremiah 33.3 that says, call to me and I will show you things you do not know. It's why two times a month I send money to our church family. It's why I give. Because I believe so much in what's being taught and what's being proclaimed and what's happening in these classes and what's happening in relationships here. That's where I want to invest my treasures for eternity. The reasons that the word is worth it. Why I preach it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. This last Thursday, I've been at a conference for the North American Mission Board, and on Thursday morning, I was in a hotel room there by myself, and I was staying there, studying at a table in the hotel room before coming back to Watkinsville, and I was staying in a Marriott, and I was thinking about the Word of God and how the world's changing, and 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 the importance of the word and and I, and I I thought hotel room I wonder the Marriott I, I wonder you know what I did I walked over to the table between the two beds in that room and I pulled out the drawer between those two beds and this is what I found there it was and just seeing that kind of just encourage you in the Marriott hotel word of God I opened the front cover of that book, and when I opened the front cover of that book, I found there it said, the Bible deals with every experience in life. It gives advice and help, comfort and hope, instruction and warning, correction and direction, predictions and promises. On the other side of the page, it said, Are you alone, depressed, addicted, stressed, cheated, experiencing conflict or temptation, considering suicide, curious, needing hope, peace, joy, comfort, purpose, forgiveness, needing God? And at the bottom of that page, it said these two words, Read on. Read on. Bernie Diamet read on. In 
1995, Bernie Diamond was in a hotel room and he was standing on the balcony of the eighth floor of that hotel trying to decide if he was going to jump and end his life from that balcony of that hotel room. And Bernie Diamet turned around from that balcony and walked back into the hotel room and opened a drawer like that and found a Gideon Bible. And he started reading it. And he said, my life was saved. And now Bernie Diamet leads an organization in Australia that is broadcast to 15 million people every single week on a thousand radio stations in 160 countries that tells the good news of how Jesus Christ will change your life. Can I say to you today, based on the testimony of Bernie Diamet and every believer in this room and every person we hope to see come to know Jesus in the future, that the word is worth it. It is worth it. I want to ask you to bow with me and, and uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to leave. And What needs to change in your life regarding the word? Maybe today it's what others have said. They said, Pastor, I, I needed this fresh start. I need a fresh point to begin. Can I offer to you, read Colossians this month. That's the reading schedule we're on as a church. And just read all of this month in the book of Colossians. Maybe today you've been putting your, you've been putting your time in things that are just, it's a vapor. Invest your time in the word. What about your money? Can you look at your ledger and say I've been investing I've been investing my financial resources in an eternal way what about your energy maybe you're exhausted but maybe the exhaustion has come from giving it to something that just not best how are you giving your life to the word Father, well, I pray in this room today, if there's anyone that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, based on the message of your word, I pray they'd call out to you today and be saved. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a fresh burden and hunger and thirst for your word. Lord, help us to have the courage that we need to keep proclaiming the word. Thank you for this rich gift. In Jesus' name, amen.